Hi, listeners. This is Colette. Lee and I and the LTFC podcast would like to invite you to the Ways We Are Your Support, Inc.'s third annual Finding Ways fundraiser. This year, join us for Casino Night. We will be enjoying the sounds of DJ Ray and DJ Stefan as we eat, drink, play, and raise money for the local cancer community. Tickets are $50 in advance at ways.givesmart.com. Again, that is W-A-Y-S.givesmart.com. With your ticket purchase, it'll include $500 in casino cash, one drink ticket, and one ticket to our food truck. Our virtual auction begins September 12th and will conclude at the event on September 16th at 8 p.m. There will also be opportunities to purchase Way swag, win really great wine, and other wonderful prizes that have been generously donated. We cannot wait to see you there. Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Fucking Cancer podcast. We are your support, so let's talk fucking cancer. On today's Grief and Remembrance episode, in addition to saying the names of those that have been lost, we're going to talk about the grief process, the five stages of grieving, symptoms of grief, different types of grief, how to seek support and take care of yourself while grieving. And grieving is a high, while grieving is a highly individualized experience, there's no right or wrong way to grieve because how you grieve depends on many things like your personality and your coping style, your life experience, your faith, and even how significant the loss was to you. And inevitably, the grieving process takes time. It can't be forced or hurried, and there's no normal timetable for grieving. Some people can start to feel better in weeks or months, and for others, the grieving process can be measured in years. In fact, the newest disorder added to the DSM-5 is prolonged grief disorder, which is a persistent, and what was it, Julia? Persistent and intense grief that causes problems and interferes with daily life. Yeah. So there is no normal when it comes to grief. Everybody's experience is different. So first, we'd like to mention some myths and facts about grieving. And one of the first myths is that the pain will go away faster if you ignore it. And that's just not true. Trying to ignore your pain keeps you from surfacing it, and it's only going to make it worse the longer you run. And for healing, it's necessary to face your grief and actively deal with it. Many people think it's important to be strong in the face of loss, and loss sucks, and it's okay to feel sad and frightened and lonely even. It's it's a completely normal reaction. And crying doesn't mean that you're weak and you don't need to protect your friends or family by putting on a brave face. We want to see your true feelings and we want to be able to help you work through them. Another myth is that if you don't cry, it means you're not sorry about the loss. And crying's a normal response to sadness, but it's not the only one. Those who don't cry may feel just as much pain and just as deeply as others. They just might not simply or they might simply just have other ways of showing it. A common misconception is that grief should last about a year, but there's no specific time for grieving. How long it takes differs, you know, like we talked about from person to person. 
There's another myth that moving on with your life means that you're forgetting about your loss. And again, that's not true. Moving on means that you've accepted your loss. And it's not the same thing as forgetting. You can move on with your life and keep the memory alive of someone or something that you lost as an important part of you. And I think that's one of the things that this series highlights is that remembering them is a way of honoring them and their memory. And as we move through life, these memories can become more and more integral to defining the people that we become. And so while there's no one way to go about dealing with it, and pain and loss is definitely an inevitable part of life, but to come to terms with your grief and eventually find a way to pick up the pieces and move on, you first want to acknowledge your pain, accept that grief can trigger many different and unexpected emotions, understand that your grieving process will be unique to you, And you might want to seek out face-to-face support from people that care about you. Support yourself emotionally. Take care of yourself physically. Again, that self-care and taking care of yourself is going to make you stronger to be the best person for yourself and those around you. And recognize the difference between grief and depression. Oh, that's something that I struggled with. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it the grief just triggers like when it says different emotions. I mean, I lost my mind. Yeah. Trying to figure out, is it grief? Is it sadness? Is it fear? Is it anguish? What What is this that I'm experiencing? Absolutely. Yeah. And definitely the separating between grief and depression. Um, wow, those two look a lot alike. A lot alike. I was going to say, I feel like my grief and depression are hand in hand. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's funny when they say, like, they said that it looks different. I mean, I sold my house and moved. Yeah. yeah. I freaked out. I didn't know what to yeah. do. So I quit a job. <laughs> yeah. I've ruined my whole life and yeah. did something else. It's yeah. fine. And it's like you just, you know, you do things to try and better your situation sometimes. And what, what was that? What was triggering that? Was it depression? Was it grief? Was it just some instability that you didn't feel at the time? But whatever it is, is acting on it. Yeah. You know? So there are five stages of grief. The five stages of grief are grief are denial. Like, this can't be happening. I've been there many, many times. My best friend passed away last November. And when I got the phone call, it, it wasn't real. I was like that it, this phone call doesn't make sense. You're crazy. You're this didn't happen. And before before I knew it, I had to really come to grips with the fact that it had happened, you know. Um another step is anger. Why is this happening and who is to blame for that? Because a lot of times we're looking for a reason. I I need to rationalize this. I need to have a solid, concrete answer for why this happened. And unfortunately, we don't get that most of the time, especially in a cancer diagnosis. You don't get the, why did this happen? Or why did I lose this person from this horrible disease? And it's such a part of human nature. We all go through it. Yeah. And it it can make you extremely angry. And so that makes sense. Um, Another step to the grieving process is bargaining which I've been there many times where I will do better. I will be better. Just please make this not real. Make this not happen. I will do all the things in my power to be the best person I can if you can just take this cancer away. And, you know, as rational at the time as we feel it may be, it's in 
it's in nobody's hands but God's, you know, and so we're just trying to do the best we can. And just bargaining is normal. It makes sense, you know, but it's, it's not always going to pan out the way we're hoping, but it's definitely bargaining. I've done it a million times when I'm in a grief situation. I remember when my nephew got into a horrid accident many years ago And I screamed at God the entire way down to driving to the hospital that if this just happens, you'll save him. If you just, if we promise this, please save him. If we make sure this happens, please save him. And I was bargaining my butt off to save my nephew's life. Now, he's alive and well. Don't know that my bargaining (laughs) had anything to do with that, but it's definitely part of that grief process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Depression. Depression is another aspect of the grief process, and it's when you're just too sad to do anything or you find yourself. I keep going back to Jesse, who was on our Spotlight series, saying being stuck between fear and grief, and that that to me is the epitome of depression. Yep. It's where I laid for so long, and it's like... That is such a hard place to be. So anything we can do to help you get through that, whether it's medication, whether it's therapy, whether it's sound baths, whether it's meditation, whatever it is, we would love to be there to help you just, you know, get through some of that depression and just to kind of get out of that grief versus fear aspect. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would look at the word depression and assume that you are consumed by your grief. Sure. Mm-hmm. But you know, from, you know, being a psych major and, and mm-hmm. things that I've read in the past and experiencing with, um, experiencing depression, um, a lot of the time it can be um, emotional detachment. Yeah. You don't even necessarily give it the time. You don't give mm-hmm. the grief the time. So you feel disconnected from mm-hmm. a lot. You pull away. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people would assume, well, that makes sense. You know, they're grieving or that makes mm-hmm. sense. You know, they're, they're all consumed by their grief right now. Sure. And that's not necessarily it. It's, right. A lot of the time, some of the times, avoiding it, avoiding acknowledging it. Absolutely. 100%. I know that I can say three years out, looking back, I didn't acknowledge Mm -hmm. and I definitely was in a depression, but I just kept moving forward, but I detached from my life. Right. And I just... I felt like I was going through the motions for like a good year and a half to mm-hmm. two years mm-hmm. until I finally acknowledged right. this is this is your grief. Right. Right. And working through that to get some part of myself back. Right. Because and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but there's having experienced grief and loss. I can say that grief causes almost a break in the timeline continuum of yes. who you were. That's a really it great almost, way to when, yeah, because it you, you pause. Well, because there's the person that you were before. Yeah. And then you experience grief and you're never that person again. Ever. Ever. And it's I I truly I'm like, this is who I was before. And this is who I am Mm -hmm. after. And I've talked to people that have experienced losses of children. um, And they say, and it's the same thing. It's 
there is no going back to normal because right. you're not that person anymore. And that's, I think, um, something that people that have experienced grief, I don't think we understand is there is no going back. Right. Right. You're absolutely right. It's finding a new way forward mm -hmm. and how to do that. Yep. The last stage of grief is acceptance. And I feel like this is one of the hardest, most sought after and not always attainable pieces to it. And that's saying I'm at peace with what happened. Um, there's not many times I've definitely have lost people in my life and you become at peace at some point. But there's many times in the cancer world where I tend to be a little less or a little more angry and a little less accepting of why it happened. So that's something I definitely still struggle to work on. But as they state, um, grief is a roller coaster and it's not linear. With the five stages of grief, you're not always going to experience them in that order. You may experience some of them. You may experience none of them. You may not hit those five stages of grief. But it's going to be a roller coaster of these certain things and getting through that and understanding yourself and accepting yourself and knowing that this is normal. I am grieving and I'm allowed to grieve. I'm allowed this time and nobody is allowed to put a time frame on you right? or an expectation on you. And so that was one of the biggest things with talking about grief today is that, you know, there's there's this framework out there that kind of lays out grief and the five stages and what all this is. But as um, Kubler-Ross herself, she um, was the founder of the five stages of the grief. She said she never intended these stages to be a rigid framework that applies to everyone who mourns. In her latest book, Before Her Death in 2004, she said the five stages of grief, they were never meant to help tuck messy emotions into neat packages, which oh, really makes sense that. to me. Yes. They were they are responses to loss that many people have, but they are not a, as they're not typical loss. Our grieving is as individual as our lives. And so I really like that because it's like she laid out a framework for us to kind of try and pluck what we need from it. And she's not saying this is how it is. This is how you need to feel. And by this time frame, you should be at this point. She's not saying that at all. She's are saying these are things to expect. And it's a roller coaster. And you're allowed to feel your grief in the way you feel it. And so many people are looked at as, well, they've been gone a year now. Aren't you doing so much better? It doesn't, that doesn't make it better. Or you're five years out from cancer. You're so happy, aren't you? Not always. No, I'm not always. Yes, I'm happy to be here and alive and thriving a thousand percent, but I'm still in a state of grief and anger and depression and all these things. So putting this out there, I just want people to see that it's not linear. There's no solid framework for you check this box, you check that box, and then you're going to be all better. Right. And it's not one, two, three, four, five. It might be one, three, two, five, four, three, two, one, five, right. four, one, three, two. I mean, it 
yeah, it's yeah. not five and done. Exactly. Exactly. You might so. have someone who um, accepts the loss right away, accepts right. the reality of the loss, and and someone who I think we all know someone who's very practical and and very based in reality. Um, someone like Tay, mm-hmm. you know, might be someone very who much. accepts it right away, right, and then maybe six months later is angry right. beyond comprehension. Well, and like we we discussed prior when I was going through my treatment. And um, I don't know if I told this story or not, but one day I was depressed. I was on the couch in my little corner and I was bald and boohooing. And that was my typical. But I looked outside and my husband was sitting in a baby pool (laughs) with our little Charlie at the time. She was one, maybe. She was the tiniest little thing. And I saw him and he was crying. And so I went outside and I was like, babe, what is going on? And he said, nothing, nothing. And I said, I promise you I'm going to get better. And he said, oh, my God, I just want you to be happy again. I just want you to be happy again. And I was like, I am happy. I love you guys. And he's like, I know, but I need you to truly have that happiness again. And he was so terrified that I wouldn't find my happy again. And I said, it's a process, babe. I'll get there somehow, some way. But I was very aware of it. And I think at that point is when I said, all right. I need to go see someone. <laughs> and not that I went to a therapist because that took a lot longer, <laughs> but I definitely went and saw my doctor and talked about meds and what I could do to get out of the rock I was living under. Well, I think there was a feeling of hopelessness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that's really in line. I mean, some of the symptoms of grief aren't even necessarily um, emotional. They can show up in physical ways, absolutely, such as fatigue, nausea, um, the stress that grief can put on us can cause our lowered defenses, so lowered immunity, um, weight loss or weight gain, mm-hmm. um, body aches and pains, oh, yes, and insomnia. These are oh. all symptoms that when you're going through grief, you probably don't even pay attention to, but there definitely is that correlation there. Yeah, absolutely. So with types of grief, there's several different types. And I was really kind of blown away because I didn't think about the different types of grief and how they affect you. And then as I was reading it, um, as I should have mentioned before, this is all from helpguide.org. And we'll link this in the show notes. But types of grief I read anticipatory grief and I was like, wow, that is one that I definitely struggled with because I was anticipating the bad. Mm -hmm. I was anticipating myself not surviving. I was anticipating what if my friends didn't survive and it led me into deep, darker thoughts about just life and death. And so um, anticipatory grief, as the name suggests, and it develops before a significant loss has actually occurred, but it happens after. If a loved one is terminally ill, for example, you have an aging pet or you know your retirement or job loss is imminent, you may start grieving the loss before it's fully unfolded. And I definitely found myself in that situation. I was grieving the loss of my prior life. I was grieving what I was going through, and I was grieving what I didn't know my future 
held. Yeah. And so it made total sense. I was like, anticipatory grief. I've never heard of the different types of grief. And I was like, I fell right into that one because you have this, this diagnosis or your family member has this diagnosis. And all you do is try and anticipate what is this going to mean in the end for me? Well, and especially not knowing what's going to happen. Right. Is this treatment going to work? Right. Am I going to progress? Right. Are they going to get the tumor? Like exactly. all of that stuff. And so you're anticipating a mil- you're grieving, you're anticipating the grief of a million different scenarios. Yes, exactly. So true. And that's why it's it can feel so heavy. So heavy and overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. And then I read about disenfranchised grief which I hadn't read about I've before. never heard of this. Yeah, so this grief can occur when you when you lose um when your loss, I'm sorry, is devalued, stigmatized or cannot be openly mourned. I this really hit home when I actually finished reading it. Some people may mini- minimize the jo- loss of a job, a pet or a friendship. For example, if something that's not worth grieving over, you may feel stigmatized or if you suffer a miscarriage. There's people that don't, oh, you were only a few weeks along and things like that, where that. I think they're trying to be helpful or provide comfort or by maybe diminishing it, it'll help you. But it actually does the opposite. It does the opposite. Absolutely. It makes you feel a little, not crazy, but it makes you feel um you know, out of touch with reality. Like, Absolutely. am I not supposed to be feeling this deeply about right. something that's affecting me? Right. And then, well, and how yeah. dare somebody gaslight your grief? Right. right. Like, I mean, right. I just watched somebody very close to me go through the loss of a pet, a a dog oh, that was right. everything to that person, mm-hmm. was absolutely everything. And I would like to say that majority of the people we work with was supportive. Mm-hmm. And then you had the people that were like, oh, well, I'm sure she'll get another one. Right. Or, oh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure she'll she'll get another one. She'll be fine in like a month. We had someone when I worked in the ICU that her, she was a huge farm girl and her horse was dying and had to be put down and she called in sick mm-hmm. and she got so much backlash, so much back. It's just a horse. And I was like, it's her animal it is her and like the majority of people joked about it didn't take it serious and i was like wow that really is putting her grief at a level that is just so unfair yeah because she deserved to grieve the loss of this baby that she's had since it was a pony right you know well and it's not like i mean horses they're not like something that live for five years or even 10 years. Right. If she has raised that that horse since it was a foal, yeah. that could have been part of her life for 25 right. years. Absolutely. And I just felt so bad. And I, when I was reading this, it came to mind. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I remember that time where she was made to feel like her grief was not relevant. And then I was reading more things about um, families who don't, um, take the partner the the partner of someone serious, and so if that partner gets sick, and then the the other partner is just kind of left out to kind of handle wait on, their, on their, own, their own, handle it on their own, and they're not 
their grief because they're just a partner, they're not a mom, a dad, a sister, a brother, is is pushed down and not like it's so important, but it is. And it's not fair. And you deserve to feel any grief that you're feeling, whatever it is, at whatever level it is. And we all feel our own things. And it's just, who are we to tell anybody else how to feel about a hard situation in their life? Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that I'm, I'm seeing here about disenfranchised grief, um, it can also involve deaths that society considers taboo. Yes. Like deaths from suicide or drug overdose. Yes. And that re- it just brought to mind, say somebody, you know, gets um, like lung cancer for, and they were a smoker for 40 right. years. Yes. And how often it has probably been said that like, well, well they, well, they, they were a smoker. What did you expect? Mm-hmm. Yes. And for the person who is dealing with that loss what purpose does that comment or statement right. serve? Right. What does that you they probably knew. Right. Well, and it's funny because that'll play into our remembrance portion of today because one of the persons we're going to be talking about passed of lung cancer, but she had not been smoking in like 40 years. Wow. And so it's just it's insane that well, and to also to put a almost like Almost a well, value on. Yeah. Well, like, well, they deserved it or. Right. Um, or their life was not valued as much because they made a mistake right. or they had an illness or they had an addiction that they couldn't right. overcome. It's like, right. well, they're not, their life was not as valuable because they struggled from these things which is and so therefore sad. brought it upon themselves, which is. It's so never, rampant in yeah. our culture to devalue or to find ways to devalue people. Yeah. Or to other them so that, and it's almost like to give ourselves a false sense of comfort. Right. Where it's like, oh, if I can say, well, they smoked and therefore they got lung cancer. Right. So they- It makes it all better. And, yeah. Which, and which it doesn't. Why, why do we even need to go there or do that? Like, why right. can't we just- be sad for the loss of this life. Absolutely. Because and that's just, what it is. It's yeah. a human life. Yep. You know? Absolutely. Oh, the next one is complicated grief. And this one is um, the pain at a significant loss that may never be completely disappeared, but it should ease up over time. And when it doesn't, it keeps you from resuming your daily life and relationships. And it be that may be the sign of complicated grief. It usually arises from the death of a loved one where the loss has left you stuck in a state of bereavement. You may be able to accept the love one has gone, search for them in familiar places, experience intense longing, or even feel life is not worth living. If you're experiencing complicated grief and the pain from your loss loss remains unresolved, it is important to reach out for support and take steps that will enable you to heal. So that is definitely something that we here want to make available to everybody, whether it's through ways at weareyoursupport.com or if it's through one of the other um, resources that we will tag in our show notes. We want to be sure that you have the support you need, whether it's there's all types of people and all types of resources. So whether it's online, whether it's in person, whether it's just a one-on-one with myself or someone at Waze, we want to be there for you and we want to give you the tools to go ahead and find that special support that you need. 
Absolutely. And and seeking support for grief and loss is one of the best ways to come out of it on the other side. Absolutely. Um, you know, grief will cause you to want to withdraw and isolate yourself and retreat into your shell. But the face-to-face support is super vital um, to to healing from from that loss. And even if you're not comfortable talking about your feelings, it's important to express them when you're grieving. Um, you know, feelings don't have a Like a demo, like a target demographic. Right. Like we all have feelings and and grief, and it's okay to talk about them. Talking about your right. feelings doesn't make you. It's not a sign of weakness. And please don't hold that in. No. You know, absolutely. Work not. through that. Talk to people. Yeah. And um. And it's hard. It's very hard. And I know, coming from myself, where I'm, I'm a talker. I tend to talk about how I'm feeling. But then when things get deep and dark. I bottle it up, mm-hmm. and that's very classic with my family. They were very much that way. We talk about everything except <laughs> the hard things. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, someone like my brother, who is the most amazing, strong-willed, hardworking person, he has gone through so much in his life. And I want him to feel comfortable reaching out and talking about the things that have gone on in his life, but it's just not the culture he was brought up in, you know? And so I do make sure he knows I'm there for him, (laughs) but you know, it's like this living in these world, the world of grief with these stigmatized you're a man. Keep it in. You're fine. You can get over it. Like, well, so it's not that tox- okay. it's, it's toxic. It's toxic, and it hurts. It it hurts men absolutely because it's 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 told them or taught them that you don't get to have feelings. You're feel you know you're weak for feeling grief right. or and just how awful to feel those things or to be in, encapsulated in loss and sadness and to just not be able to reach out to someone because you're not, you know, and it's feelings aren't gendered. No, no, they're not. And that's the sad thing too, is I've seen so much, I want to say within the last year of men standing up and saying, hold on, it's our time to speak up. Like we get to speak up and say what's going on to us. And I really hope that continues because many women are good at saying our feelings, not everybody, but a lot of women are. And I want the male community to feel just as empowered and just as heard as, you know, as us, because this stuff affects them too. And my brother's situation, it wasn't a, it was a loss in a way, but it's more of a grief. And it's with you know, his son. And he's, my nephew is still here and amazing and well today, but he went through a horrible tragedy. And I know that that affects them every single day. And I I would like to know that my brother feels loved and supported and that he could say the things that are on his mind. Absolutely. And like you said about a culture, being raised in a certain culture, it almost does these men or a disservice mm-hmm. absolutely because they're told that like it's put on them without their permission mm-hmm. 
It is. They had no say. In they have, you know, yeah, no, this is how our, our culture is. You you don't mm-hmm. feel, you don't cry, you don't, you don't talk about anything. You just, you keep it silent and you bottle it up. Yep. And that's so, it's unfair. Yeah, totally unfair. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So definitely, yeah, don't isolate yourself or yes, don't isolate yourself. Um, spend time with, you know, and even if you don't want to talk about your loss every time you're around people, that's sure. okay. Um but even just being around people that care about you mm-hmm. can be really good mm-hmm. um, to help you cope with your with your loss. Real quick, one thing I wanted to add that I just read that I found very interesting, specifically in the um, in the cancer community with grieving your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that um, grief can also contribute to some behavioral changes mm-hmm. um, in terms of. Um, concentration or completing tasks so some symptoms can include confusion trouble thinking or making decisions feeling as if you've lost a sense of hope or direction wow difficulty focusing on anything other than your loss and difficulty remembering or keeping track of your responsibilities and do you know what that makes me think of me (laughs) well (laughs) in a broad sense do you know what term that makes me think of? tell me chemo brain yeah where I think a lot of a lot of times patients um, they tend to feel like oh you know people don't take chemo brain seriously it's just right, something that it's just something that people say because we're going through a lot and mm-hmm. we're out of sorts and it's like it is very real a for the effects that chemo ha- does right. have on your neurons and right. your and your neuropathways mm-hmm. and your biological functioning right and also your behavioral functioning right. as well like. You're hit from multiple sides with grief and treatment that cause these um, difficulties in your life. And so it was just something that I read just now that I immediately brought that, you know, chemo brain, um, you know, to, you know, to my brain. And I just, yeah, it's just, it's just crazy that, um, you know, some people feel like it's not taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it from a grief perspective, why would that not make sense? Right. You know, and right. when you look at it from a medical or biological standpoint, why would that not make sense? Right. It's absolutely real. Yeah, especially, absolutely. Especially when grieving your yeah. diagnosis comes into play. Yeah. I noticed some, um, so some taking care of yourself while grieving, there's some tips they have in here, but I wanted to talk about one of my own that I want to say when my best friend passed away, um, I had a weird grieving process with it. I did not break down and lose my mind like everyone expected. And everyone kept staring at me (laughs) saying, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? But I started doing things like painting and I would paint and I would cricket and I would, I would craft. And that's what she did. And I, I'm a crafter too, but she's way more crafty than me. And I kind of took on this energy of her almost, and it made me feel so good. And everything I create now, I feel like she's part of. She's a little piece of, yeah. A little piece of it. And so it's really strange because I have had such a, I've put it in the back, back, back 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 box (laughs) i don't quite want to deal with it yet Mm -hmm. but i've been letting out little things or like (laughs) today i walked up to my wall socket and um 
if they're not incorrectly, they're not turned on. And I walked up to it and it turned on. And I was like, thanks, Missy. And Aww. just like little things like that. I just, you know, but it's like finding a place to put that grief and reason with it and just kind of finding an outlet. Finding so, a healthy way to channel it too. That absolutely keeps you feeling close and not necessarily triggers you in a way of breaking down and yeah. in sorrow over your grief, but like channeling that into something that she did mm -hmm. and that you guys did together. Right. There were so many projects that yeah. you guys we tackled together. So many things we did together. And so I keep it's almost like I've turned a little bit more into her with my crafting and stuff like that. And it's just kind of, and of course, I love her husband and kids dearly and we keep in touch, but it's like, I feel this connection. I'm like, hey, Jesse, guess look, look what I created, you know? And I'm like, you know, because it was her mom and it, she was my inspiration and it just kind of feels good. So going into ways to take care of yourself while, while grieving um, there's things like that where get into your hobbies and it may seem so hard, so, so hard. I used to be a writer. I love writing. I feel like I can write like the best of them. I really, really enjoy it. And when I got cancer, I stopped and I've never picked it back up. I started a journal then and I, I think Julia has a note in the journal and Tony may have half a note, like, and that's it. I couldn't do it. I don't know what it was, but that was not the path for me. Okay. But I started getting crafty and I started gardening and my dad made me garden boxes in the backyard. And so I started taking care of my garden and just getting more crafty. So trying to maintain your hobbies and interests is a really big deal. Just trying to make sure you're going and doing something that you makes you feel good and it may seem like the big biggest chore in the world. Right now, my biggest chore in the world is meeting my friend Jen to go on our walks. I am trying to get out of it every other day, but still, I'm trying. I know, still, <laughs> still, but I've been doing it and it makes me feel so much better when I do. Good. So you have to just push through that as best you can. And it's not going to happen every day. We're not trying to be toxic positive here. It's not gonna. It's not gonna happen every day, yeah. but make it happen when you can, you know. And then, um, face your feelings. You have to face the way you're feeling, and you have to really, truly say it to yourself, and maybe say it to a therapist, say it to a loved one, but really get it out there. Say how you feel because we dance around the words a lot of time because we're trying to protect everyone. Mm -hmm. But you really need to just say how you feel. Well, and there's power in letting it go when you speak it. Yes. You you kind of take away some of the power mm -hmm. by putting it out there and saying, this is what I'm feeling. And once it's out there, you it yeah, it takes away some of the power. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and if you can't if you can't say what you're feeling and face your feelings Express your feelings in a tangible way. And maybe that's doing something creative or, you know, I don't know. Go to a rage room. Go to a rage room. Go journal if you can. I couldn't journal, but if, go journal if you can. Go do it in a tangible way that you can put it, a face on it and face it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, don't let anyone tell you how to feel. And don't let yourself, and don't tell yourself how to feel. 
And if you catch yourself starting to tell someone how they should feel, stop yourself. Please and thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It it really is okay to just stop in the middle of a sentence when you realize that you're going down the wrong path and just say, you know what? Never mind. That was not going to be helpful. You know, and too many of us start to say something and get embarrassed and get caught up in it and are like, "Uh," and we continue that horrible path and it's not something we should have been saying. Just stop yourself. It's way more respectable and it's way more appreciated Mm -hmm. if you stop yourself and say, uh, that was not what I wanted to say, or that was not the right path to go down. I'll but, stop myself and say, you know what? I was realizing that wasn't going to come out the way that I meant it to. Exactly. <laughs> and that's great for the person that may catch themselves saying something at the wrong time or whatever. But if someone, if you catch someone telling you how to feel or telling, you know, or you're telling yourself, I should be feeling this way, you really got to put a stop on that. You got to put a stop on that and you really have to just focus on the now and the here and this is what I'm feeling. And nobody can tell me that that's not okay. Yeah. You know, there have even, you know, there was a time in my life, you know, where, um, you know, I'd gone through something hard and there was a, you know, I had left a job. I was unemployed Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was home a lot and what it looked like to an outside perspective was that I was sitting on the couch all day Mm -hmm. moping. Right. And what I was actually doing was I was sitting on the couch all day working through my shit. Good. Like, yeah, because there was a time where I couldn't even let myself think the thoughts in my head because I was like, no, 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 that's not, that's not positive. That's not helpful. However, if you can let yourself feel it Mm -hmm. and know that, okay, that's not reality. Right. And you used to say this to me a lot. Let yourself feel it. Mm-hmm. Know that that's not the reality. Mm-hmm. And know that feeling it now mm-hmm. will help you come back to reality. Right. It, you won't take that into your day-to-day life exactly. every day yeah. if you can let yourself feel it and work through it. Right. Rather than, you know, like the, um, I think it's called inhibited grief, um, mm-hmm. where you repress a lot right. of that. And a lot of that is just, unfortunately, but fortunately, sitting with your feelings right, and working through it. Which can be great at sometimes, mm-hmm. but not if that's all you're doing. Of course not. No. Right. And I think for me, that maybe lasted like a month because then right. I, I then got a job and had no time, <laughs> had no time for grief. Had but, no time for your feelings. <laughs> but I can look back and say that I, what, I'm very grateful for that time yeah. because I immediately then went into, okay, I got to get back on track. Yeah. Definitely. So having that time to work through it, I think, helped me get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Except that many people feel awkward when they're trying to comfort someone's grieving. That is a hard one because I feel like we all get awkward. I get awkward when someone's trying to comfort me. People get comfort trying or get awkward trying to comfort me, you know, and it was it was definitely an awkward phase. And I got I became okay with it. Mm -hmm. I became okay with the fact that they don't know what to say. And I don't even know what to say to them because I was just trying to say all the positive. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. Thank you for all you're doing. Where sometimes you get um, it's not decision fatigue. It's like 
complimenting fatigue or saying positivity wow, fatigue. you're so strong. Wow, yes. look at you go. Wow. And you're like, okay, I don't feel wow yeah. all the time. Or myself saying, no, I'm good. It's good. Everything's good. I'm fine. Da, da, da. That gets tiring mm-hmm. because I'm not always good or I wasn't right. always good, you know, but you don't want people to worry because you knew what you were going through was momentary, mm-hmm. you know, or I knew what, what I was going through was momentary. And so um, just accepting that it could be awkward and giving people the grace to be awkward. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hard because it could piss us off. But bringing it back to this is not everyone's daily life. They don't know how to deal with this all the time. So give them that grace that it can be awkward and give yourself grace that you can be awkward as well. Well, it's like Brene Brown always says, be um, awkward, brave, and kind. Oh, I like that. Because she's that awkward. Like when you're awkward, you're being like, don't be afraid to be awkward. Right. Because that awkwardness creates vulnerability. Right. And who knows what you showing that vulnerability, how that's going to impact the person that's receiving that. Exactly. Exactly. And I think there's some, I think there's some comfort. I can be completely wrong. I am not a person who has gone through treatment, you know, for Mm -hmm. an illness or anything. But I think one thing that I have learned and noticed in situations where um, maybe I've been talking with a coworker who has a sick parent or um, has gone through something very, very hard, they don't need answers from Mm -hmm. you. They don't need Mm -hmm. you to tell them that everything's going to be okay. They don't need you to try and solve their problem. Yes. And that's what I love when you can ask them, do you want advice or do you just want me to listen? Yes. Yes. That's a great question to ask. And a lot of the time, I love that. I feel like I can be wrong, but as personally, I feel that I am an empath. And, you know, an empathetic mm-hmm. person to where I can, in a now healthy way, internalize that just a bit, what mm-hmm. they're going through just a bit mm-hmm. to say, wow, I honestly can't even imagine what I would do in this situation. Right. And just being there and just saying that to them, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Right. I genuinely do not know what I would do if I was in your shoes. Right. That goes a long ways. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. like leveling and you don't have to sugarcoat it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to paint a pretty picture for them. You don't have to try and convince them that everything's going to be okay. Just acknowledging that, wow, that is a terribly hard thing you are going through and I am so sorry. Yes. Is so validating. It is so validating. It is so validating. (laughs) There's just been so many crazy things said to me over the times. And I'm like, why couldn't you have just said that? Well, and yeah, you know what? Sometimes it's okay to say absolutely nothing. Yes. yes. Sometimes it's even better. But like, or like you said, Julia, just say, you know what? I'm so sorry. I've, I've, I couldn't even, even imagine. This, or I've never known someone to go through this. Yeah. And tell me, like, how are you handling this? Exactly. How are you, like, like, tell me your day to day right yes. now so that, you know, not that the, it's their job to educate you. If they're willing and open to actually getting into the nitty gritty with you, I'm sure it's so it has to be so relieving to just talk about that rather than like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. It's okay, Right. You know. Yeah, definitely. Um, And one of my next ones was join a support group. And we all know how that went for me. (laughs) (laughs) Go to the support group. So... Go to the support group. It will take you time, most of your time, to get there. 
Um, But I always say, take someone with you. It doesn't matter. No support group is going to kick you out for bringing your mom or your dad or your best friend. They're going to let them come. Bring someone with you at first. It really helps. It really, really helps break that ice. And then you kind of become, you start to become one with the group and you make your friends and you don't really need your support person at the groups anymore, which is great. But um, try to join a support group. And we have some great resources that we're linking in the um, episode notes for you guys to look up um, support groups in your area. So it's based on, it's uh, online app and it you put in your zip code and it'll bring up support groups right within your oh, area. Oh, what a great resource. Yeah. Awesome. So we have some great resources. I'll put put those out in your hair in just a minute. But it's just really it's really important to find a group whether it's through a local hospital, a support group or like a nonprofit or something like that. It's just really important to find your find your people because they are going to get it the most and as long as it took me to get there, it was what changed my everything. I also wanted to be be sure to say, be sure of how you use social media. Social media can be really, really helpful in spreading your message. It could be helpful in, you know, sharing what's going on and giving updates and stuff like that. But you got to be careful of trolls. They're out there. They're everywhere. And they can really bring down. Maybe choose um, where you share your information on maybe like a closed group. A closed group is what I was going to say. We had a closed group for my cancer journey. And we only, I don't think I used my Facebook alone the entire time I was in my cancer journey. We shared everything in a private closed group. So it's people that I knew loved and supported me and had my back. And we shared everything in there. So just be really careful of how you how you use social media because it can definitely be, uh, be an uplifting, great resource, but there's also the bad side of it. And there's the trolls that could really say hurtful things and things that you don't need to go through right now. And so just be really cognizant in what you're doing with social media because you don't need that added stress. Yeah. And if you don't know what to say to someone on their social media or, um, you know, just Remember, you always have the right to just shut the fuck up. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what to say, you don't have to say anything at all. That's the best and, thing and ever. And I'll say there have been times where I ultimately ended up, you know, because I, I felt guilty about it, but I, I apologized to someone and I said, I'm sorry. I didn't know what to say at the time. Right. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know right. how my presence was going to affect you. I didn't I wasn't sure that it could be a benefit like sure. a benefit to you. I had sure. to go back and say I'm sorry I didn't know at the time what right. to say or do. Right. And I think sometimes that might be better than yeah, maybe saying the wrong thing yeah, or sticking or, your foot in yeah, putting yeah. your foot in your mouth and then having to come back later after feelings have been hurt and right. you know, so <laughs> I deal with that still today. There's things I have not confronted. <laughs> So, um, but before we wrapped up this little segment, I wanted to share some really great um, 
resources that we have for the listeners, and we're going to link them in the show notes. So please go to the show notes. You can find it right there. But for grief and loss resources, I found some great um, information on the American Counseling Association. And that link is going to be in the show notes. It has wonderful information about grief and loss. And then there was Grief Share. This is the one where you can type in your zip code and it brings up any support groups within your area. I tried it in my little area. I live in the middle of nowhere and there was like 12 different groups. Wow. So if it's that big here, it's got to be big everywhere. So that was really good. And like I said before, take someone with you. Just take someone with you for the first time or two, get you going, and then you'll feel so much better when you do it. And then the last one was griefcounselor.org. That is also in our show notes. And it's helpful sites to guide you through the processes. So it has tons of different websites. So for grief, for everything throughout your process, it has some really, really good information. So go visit some of those um, websites and just see what they can do for you. Definitely. Yeah. I also do highly recommend if you are struggling with a prolonged version of grief, um, maybe checking out the American Psychiatric Association. Um, they have a, a lot of information on the newly added um, prolonged grief disorder to the DSM-5, which I think from reading this short little description, I can see that, that it would be very beneficial. And it does look like they do have resources listed as well. Right. Perfect. Well, since we've done so much talking about grief and and how to deal with it, um, let's highlight some of those people that have made an impact on the lives of those around them who have created amazing memories, who people did experience grief and loss because they had such an impact on their lives. I think that's a great idea. So today, my grief and remembrance is on my grandmother. Her name was Dolores Trejo, but we called her Nana. So she will be Nana throughout the rest of this episode. And my grandmother was the glue, literally the glue to our whole family. She was a very young woman when she started having children. She had lots of them. And she kept us together, my aunts, uncles, like every, she kept them together. They were just a rowdy bunch. (laughs) (laughs) They were a rowdy bunch and they kept her on her toes, but she was able to make the strongest family that I could have ever asked for. And so she, um, every summer we were at her house all summer long. We went to, she lived by the railroad tracks. So we used to drive across the railroad tracks and go to Jack's to get candy and goodies with my grandpa all the time. And we, she let us play down at the railroad tracks. We mattress surfed every winter. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we did all the fun things. She yelled at us 50 times a day from being dirty and muddy because she had to wash her laundry again. And she hand washed our clothes and hung dry them. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she was amazing. But she just, it's just crazy because I think about all the um, fun um, traditions and stuff we have. Like I can picture walking to her house right now, which for the first time in my life, it's been sold. So it's just, I didn't know. Wow. Yeah, it's sold. And it's just so crazy because 
the properties that they owned were in an industrial area, but they owned it way before that. So they've had this and they've been wanting, the industrial people have been wanting it forever. And so um, they ended up buying it from them. But I can remember just walking in her house and the first thing I wanted was SpaghettiOs. Because Nana, <laughs> Nana, Nana had a cupboard full of raviolis, rigatoni, and spaghettios with meatballs. Chef Boyardee. Chef Boyardee, man. I love it was, it. Yep. And so it was like my favorite thing. We would stay at her house, and all the cousins, we'd pile into the beds, we'd be in the living rooms, we'd be. It was a chaos, chaos over there all the time. We caused her so much. Ch- so much stress probably (laughs) but my grandma she was a smoker from the time she was a young girl till about I would say about 40 and then she stopped smoking and she lived the rest of her years she passed in her 80s and she lived the rest of her years not smoking so another half of her life without smoking and when she um it was found out she had lung cancer and she had went to the ER um, one August and my husband and I and kids, we ran down there to go check on her. And, um, I forget what they decided it was, but they sent her home. And then she got sick a few months later and they pulled up her scans from that day and they said, Oh, there's that tumor. And they could see the tumor back in August. Oh my goodness. They didn't catch it until it had grown like the grapefruit size. Oh my God. And so by December she passed and it was so quick and it was so unexpected. We were just completely devastated. And she was the glue. She is what kept our whole family together. And so for that, we lost that huge piece of us. It was, we felt completely empty. But I have to say when she was passing, um, I lived up here, which I'm a little bit further away from my family than the rest of them live, live a little more near each other. And I um, got the phone call that she wasn't doing well. And so she was in hospice at her house. And I had done no Christmas shopping. I was out that day Christmas shopping. And Christmas was in like two or three days. And I ran, I was out shopping and I called my family. I said, I'm not coming home. I'm going to Nana's. And I went straight down to Nana's. I don't think I left for two days. And then I came home to change and whatever and went back on Christmas Eve. And she passed that night. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it was, you know, it was horrible. It was beautiful to be there with her and to me being a nurse I felt very empowered to take care of her and clean her and change her bed. And well, I, I think your family all- was really comforted knowing they that, did. yeah, y- y- that she had that expert yeah. care. And they they definitely let me know that. And Didn't I appreciated they kept saying that. like, "Ask Colette, she's the doctor." <laughs> they kept saying, "They always call me a doctor." <laughs> Ask Colette, she's a doctor. And I'm like, I'm a nurse, but okay, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate the kudos. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was just it was a beautiful time for our family to come together and be together. But such a sad reason why. But oh my gosh, this woman, she was the most patient. She put up with. I mean, she had five children, and now I can't remember how many grandchildren. I mean, there's like I was going to ask how least, many of you there were. During there's the a summers. lot of us, and then great great grandchildren. And she took every single one of our babies, whether it was us or one of my babies or whatever, and she raised them like they were her own. And she just took. Oh, she was the best mom. She was really the best mom. 
And so we lost her to lung cancer in 2014 on New Year's Eve. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. I'm sorry. Christmas Eve. Yes. Thank you, Leah. <laughs> Good thing you're a family friend. You know. <laughs> She's like, um, that's not what I heard. Like, fact check. Uh, Leah's like, uh, I know your family story. No. <laughs> no. So, yes, on December 2014, Christmas Eve, we lost her at four in the morning. And now, every Christmas Eve morning, I wake up at four in the morning. Really? Mm -hmm. oh it has not God. stopped since 2014. Just naturally? Naturally. I wake up and I look at the clock and I'm like, hi, Nana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's my remembrance for, for today. That's my Nana. I love that she comes in and checks in on you. I think she does for sure. I talk to her all the time. She was the one who taught me that I did not have to go into any established building to talk to God. I could talk to him wherever I was and that I would be just fine as long as I checked in with him. I love that. I know. I love that too. Especially for the era that she came from. Yeah, it was exactly. Very, yeah. So in remembering, giving remembrance and trying to say their name, that's my grandma Dolores, but we know her as Nana. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Nana. Nana, yeah. And then there was a story I wanted to talk about today. Um, it hits our grief and remembrance just a little bit different because it's a story I read on Medscape. And so Medscape.com, we're going to link the um, article to the show notes so you guys can look it up yourself. But it hits on grief and remembrance in the way that when faced with a terminal illness, where do you go? Who makes the decisions? Who has the ultimate say? And what if it's a underage child? And so this story is about a 17-year-old girl who had been diagnosed with um, osteosarcoma since the age of nine. And she um, she went through treatment, she went through remission, and then it came back. And when it came back, she said, I want no more treatment. And her dad said, you're not of age, we're the parents, and you can't make that decision. And the mom said, no, we need to listen to her. So they had reached out to a man named Art Kaplan at the Division of Medical Ethics at the New York University Grossman School of Medicine. And apparently he has been, um, he's got many referrals about difficult cases like this and just guiding people through the process of how to make the right decisions. And ultimately, um, her name was Tinsley. She said uh, she just wanted to go through her prom. She wanted to enjoy the best days of you know the rest of her life. And she just really wanted to not go through the torment of treat treatment anymore. And as a parent, I couldn't imagine having to face my child saying, no, I'm done. And so I definitely felt for the father. But then I looked at the mother's side as well, going, what do you do for your child? Like, I definitely, I want to listen to what my child say. I don't want to lose them. Yeah. But, you know, she was listening to her daughter. And so after lots of um, counseling with um, Art Chaplin, I believe that was his name, um, they went through a lot of counseling and stuff. And so they decided to go ahead and honor her wishes. And so she got to, she got to go to her prom and then she did suddenly pass. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm so glad that she got to experience her prom. 
and do it in the way that she wanted. She decided how the rest of her life was going to go instead of saying, I have to sit here in treatment for how, I mean, she'd been nine years old when it started. Yeah. So it's like at 17 years old. She was burnt out. She was burnt out. I went through it for a year and that was way too much. So I can't even imagine. So that's, we want to say her name, Tinsley, today in Mm -hmm. remembrance of her journey and her struggle and her Her strength. Yes. And her advocacy for her own healthcare. Yeah. And to make, take the decision that, or make the decision that, um, is unconventional or might be deemed unconventional. Absolutely. And we'll definitely link this into the show notes as well. So if you want to read the full story, you can see it there. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today as we remember Dolores and Tinsley. If you would like to share about your loved one or have them featured on our Grief and Remembrance series, please submit your stories to podcast at weareyoursupport.com. And please follow us on all of our social media profiles at LTFC underscore podcast and follow us on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube at Let's Talk Fucking Cancer Podcast. And join us next week as we interview our professional, Ariel, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.